Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Coming to you on a Saturday night. Tough one here, but we had some logistical issues to try to get here on a Saturday, so it works out perfect. We're spending our Saturday evening doing exactly what we want to be doing and talking about baseball. Before we get into the episode today, I do want to talk about that we are now in partnership with SeatGeek, so I'll make sure to drop the promo code of Backside Ground Ball in the show notes. But anybody who's looking for opening day tickets, early season, I know we got a lot of Philly fans out there. You guys are fired up. Trey Turner's in the Philly uniform. Go get your tickets on SeatGeek. You get $20 off your first order. And if you use the promo code Backside Ground Ball, again, Backside Ground Ball, and we'll get you guys going to baseball games for any of your live event needs, go to SeatGeek and use our promo code Backside Ground Ball. But we have a really special episode today. Not only do we have Colin back, he made it to Arizona alive in his cross-country trip. So we're super excited to get him back and, and hear his perspective on how spring training is going. But we also have Matt Mervis with the Chicago Cubs. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you guys. Of course, of course. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, it wouldn't take too long to look up his stats from last year. Matt went absolutely off last year. Um, he had a great year. He had 36 home runs home runs across three levels, right? That's right. Th- three levels. So he, he made his way up all the way to AAA. And he's actually leaving on Monday to play in the WBC with Team Israel. So we'll kick off the conversation with that, Matt. I got to know, how excited are you to get out there for the World Baseball Classic? I'm really excited. Um, our pool is crazy. It's Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico. So I'm going to go play some elite competition, and I'm sure the environment in Miami is going to be pretty crazy. So it'll be fun. Oh, man. I cannot wait to watch that. Oh, yeah. That's going to be sick. That's so cool. It's gonna yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Those are those are all-star teams, so we'll see. Yeah, that Dominican <laughs> roster stat, like stat. I mean, one through nine, it's the MVP candidates. Like, it's they're all some of the best players in the damn world. Jeez, that's awesome. So, so let me ask you this before before you head out there. Juan Soto steps to the plate. I mean, I know you're you're in big league camp right now, but how deep are you playing in the infield? Uh, the rule is your heels can't be on the grass, so they're going to be backed up about an inch in front of that. <laughs> are you are you telling the pitcher stay away? Like I know he's got oppo juice, but like don't miss in. Like I'm not trying to have one off the teeth early in the year. No, I'm I'm gonna let them game plan, and <laughs> if I can make a play on a ball, then I'll do what I can. No, that that's awesome. Well, I mean that that's gonna be a phenomenal experience, and and obviously with the team Israel part of it, kind of go into how that connection is, and and how you kind of led to you know, getting linked up to play for Team Israel. Is it is it a kind of a family thing there? Yeah, my grandmother uh, is from Israel, so that's the okay. the connection for me. Um, she okay. grew up there and, and spent 20-plus years of her life there, so um, I'm just excited to represent her and her country and hopefully make her proud. Um, 
and our AAA announcer Alex Cohen is um, he's Jewish and is friends with Jonah Rosenthal, who's a scout with the Dodgers. Jonah is connected to Team Israel, so um, they kind of got the ball rolling for me, and I've just been in contact with them since. That's sick. <laughs> that is cool. So I think like going through like the minor league levels and development, I think Trevor and I have talked about it. Like you have this concept of like, I'm developing and not so much like I'm trying to win games. Now you're in a position where it's like, it's competition time. I wanted to ask like on both sides, like how much has like your focus and competition level, like maybe increased, like playing for going to play in the world baseball classic, but now where you're in big league camp and you're in the brink of the big leagues, like how much does like your mental mind change like trying to get away from maybe this developmental stuff where like i'm still developing like tweaks and stuff now i'm like it's go time so i'm gonna see like what your thoughts were on that or like how that has changed throughout your progression through the minors and now close to the big leagues and now world baseball classic yeah it's been interesting um last year was pretty much all development from game to game um and and from level to level so and high you know just still working on stuff, trying to hammer down my swing early in the season and make sure I'm swinging at the right pitches, hitting balls hard, um, you know, just, just trying to climb the ladder. And then double A and triple A were just compete. Um, I, I felt good pretty much the whole year. So it wasn't as much development as it was um, just competition, just going out and playing every day. And I've had to kind of get back into the development during camps, uh, just – Things aren't going my way right now. I'm struggling a little bit, so it's kind of back to the drawing board of um, getting myself into a good spot with my swing and, and trying to forget about mechanics during the game and just hitting. So it'll be a balance. Um, WBC games obviously have a lot more on the line than spring training games, so I'm going to do what I can to help us win there and, and not worry so much about development. But um yeah, spending my time here just trying to get ready for the season. It, you mentioned that development piece, and obviously I, I definitely want to get into, you know, the balance of that and, and how your development track has been. But, you know, when you talk about competing and, and prioritize winning, what's the what's the clubhouse energy like with the Cubs right now? Yeah, obviously you signed Bellinger, you signed Hosmer, you signed Dansby. You know, I'm assuming you're getting a lot of work, obviously, with Hosmer, like – how have the vibes? I mean, I don't. I don't. I assume you weren't in big league camp last year, but how has kind of the culture within that clubhouse changed? Yeah, I, I was not in big league camp last year, so I can't speak to to that clubhouse. But from everything I've heard, um, people people like what they're seeing this year. Uh, Dansby's come in and brought good energy to the clubhouse. Um, he knows what it takes to win, and and so does Hosmer and Mancini and. Um, a lot of these guys have had long, successful careers and also World Series rings. So um, we're, I'm just trying to learn from them. Like you mentioned, I'm, I'm working with Hosmer a little bit over at first base every couple of days. So just trying to pick his brain and see what's led him to having such a uh, successful career. And, yeah, just trying to learn from the people that have done it and done it well. Nice. So I think I ask myself this question or I think about it all the time. Like if you asked yourself like 10 years ago, like would you still be, would you be in a big league locker room next to Eric Cosmer or world series champ? Like 
do you think like if you asked yourself that 10 years ago would you say that you were in this position or would you say you're absolutely crazy like that no way yeah i I mean i believed it the whole time even my first year of college I, i barely hit um struggled pretty bad in 2021 and um yeah, I, that's. I think that's a big part of my success last year is just constantly believing it. Um, yeah, I, I have convinced myself that I belong, and I wake up every day telling myself like I'm a big leaguer. I'm ready to be a big leaguer, and I just gotta go prove it. I like that. That's. I, I like every player should be like thinking that no matter what. Like you can't go on the field just like. Uh, do I belong here? Do I not? Like, you can't be in between. Like, you need to be 100% committed to this. I'm going to be a big leaguer for X amount of years. You can't just show up and just, you know, half-ass around the whole time. Like, you either commit to it or you don't even show up because at that point it's not even worth it. You're just wasting exactly. your own time, wasting everything. Yeah. And everything I've heard is the the talent level between AAA and the majors is is pretty similar. Obviously, there there are more stars in the big leagues. Just the best mm-hmm. players play, but a lot of people have have told me that the mental aspect is the biggest separator. Mm-hmm. It's a draining game. It's me- I mean, you're as a hitter, you're failing. I mean, I would say nowadays, like hitting above what maybe like two fifty, two sixty is like that's yeah. incredibly good. You're failing seventy five percent of the time. It's mentally going to crush you. I mean, as a pitcher, it's still crushed. Like, I'm like you guys are successful seventy five percent of the time, and like we still have these outings where we're just like, oh my gosh! And it's like week to week, it just mentally crushes you, and it's probably, I mean, it, I would say it might be worse for you guys, where it's like every single day, like you're out there like grinding. Like, for I mean, pitchers, we might get a week or so in between, but the mental part of the game is just tough. If you're not mentally tough, like it's just gonna unfold right in front of your hands without even without even warning. It's just going to completely just unfold and you're already in trouble. Yeah, it's hard. Hitting is is really hard physically and mentally. Uh, I've been talking to some of our coaches about that even today and this week, just, you know, trying to to find ways to deal with failure because it's going to happen and there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. That's so why I was just random. I was in the bullpen uh, the other day, and Dallas Braden's next to me, and I'm just talking to him. This guy's doing a perfect game in the big leagues, and he just I'm asking him like, "Oh, you're still color commenting, just talking?" He's like, "Yeah, I am." And the first thing he says is, "I'm just trying to remind people how hard this game is. Like, it is so hard. <laughs> like, it's. I mean, I don't. I've stepped in the box just for." Just to watch guys without even swing. I can't imagine even trying to swing the ball, the swing out of the ball at this point because just blows my mind. But respect for what you guys do is incredible. <laughs> and for what you guys do, it's not easy. No, no part of this game is easy. No. Yeah, Colin, how about you casually name dropping Dallas Braden on the podcast and just like, oh yeah, I was just, I was just chalking it up with, uh, with Dallas Braden. But, um, you mentioned obviously, I mean, hitting is like, I spent time as a hitting coach, right? And I worked with a lot of hitters at the college level and the ability to balance failure and focus on the process is, is kind of the hitting coach's job like you could be mechanical as mechanical can be and you know if you're not understanding the mental aspect so you know kind of go into 
the mental side of hitting in terms of handling that failure? Obviously, it seems like it's something that you continue to grow with, but how do you kind of handle it? Are you a process-oriented guy or, or, you know, how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, I'm hand up. I'm not great at it. Um, I play with emotion and and frustration. So um, people deal with it different ways. It's really impressive. I've been seeing guys handle it today and throughout camp, and everyone has a little different way to do it. But, um, you know, some guys breathe. Some guys have just a – an image out in the outfield that they just look at and just focus their energy there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm still working at it for me. I have to get it out. So finding a way to, to release it and then refocus on whatever the next task is, whether it's going out and playing defense or the next step out or, or whatever it might be. But, um, yeah, so so much of hitting is mental with confidence and composure and um, just staying focused throughout the whole game uh, and, and, and the long season. So there, there's plenty of aspects to it and just really whatever you can do to, to stay locked in and not let your emotions get in your way. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because I always used to almost feel like not bad, but I, I was a literally a positive feedback loop. Like guys would take bad swings in the cage. I'd be like, attaboy, like, whatever. Like for some reason, that was just how my brain processed like failure. Cause I'm like, it's hard, you know, it's very hard. And, and when you mentioned like breathing and going through the process and picking something up in the outfield, like, and this is more of just kind of a broad MLB question, but you can also tie it into maybe like what you've seen with other guys is how has the pitch clock impacted your ability to, I know you've been in the minor leagues and you've seen it, but to slow the game down, especially when it feels like it's moving at a million miles per hour right now for you. Yeah, it's last year I liked it because it kind of got me out of my head. So I, you know, I swing at a bad pitch or I miss a fastball over the middle of the plate. I don't have time to to step out and, you know, be mad at myself or question something or whatever. It's just get back in the box and hit, swing at the next pitch or take the next pitch, whatever I I need to do. So um, that helped me, but. In camp, I've been a little bit sped up with the combination of the clock and pitch com. So I take my pitch or one pitch passes, I whether I swing at it or not, immediately the pitcher's got the next pitch in his head. He The catcher doesn't have to wait to make sure that I'm not peeking at signs. Um, the pitcher gets the ball back, and then the catcher presses a button, and he's ready to throw the next pitch. So it's been a little different for me. I've, I've had a couple at-bats where – um, it's like uncomfortably fast now. So I'm going to have to try to work back from there and, and get back to a good rhythm. I feel like there's no messing around with it this go around. I feel like last year when they were doing it, they were like a little in between on when to start and when to stop. And it, just watching games now, like it seems way faster than it did last year. I don't know if it's just watching and haven't experienced it yet, but it just seems incredibly fast. And it seems just like, the beauty of like the game was like that slowing down time, that time, the process stuff that happened, like the hitters thinking about what the pitchers are going to throw, the pitchers thinking about what the hitters going to throw. So it just kind of, it's just interesting to see like how 
the pitch clock going to really affect stuff because I don't want to see it down the road where the pitch clock affects like the outcome of a game because that's when it's going to get really bad. But I was wondering just like just a simple question, but, like how quickly did you think you like adapted to it like in the minors? Because I feel like for myself, it took us like a good two or three weeks to like get acclimated to it. And now it's just like it is what it is. Yeah, I'd say it took me about two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember the first three or four games we had it, everyone was just angry. Like, it's too <laughs> fast. Because we didn't practice it at all in spring training. It was kind of mm-hmm. like, uh, it might have been like second or third week of the season they introduced it, and everyone was like, what the hell is this? Like, mm-hmm. I remember the first game we played with it, the first hitter of the game got started with a strike. <laughs> we're like, all right. And no, no introductory period, just here it is and deal with it. But I think guys have done a good job adapting. I'm sure everyone will continue to do that. Um, I've seen a few automatic balls and automatic strikes already, but those are mostly with guys with big leaders that hadn't experienced it last year. So I'm sure their, their process will take another week or two. But I think by the time the season starts, everyone's going to be comfortable with it. So I actually have kind of like two questions from there. First off, and obviously being in big league camp, you'd have a good perspective on this. Do you feel like the umpires, because they have the opportunity at spring training are emphasizing it more and being harder on it and not allowing a flow of the game? Because it's like, it's almost like that classic, like over, like if you overcorrect people adapt quicker, almost like, Hey, if we're like crazy on this, everything like every time it, touches the clock we're calling it whether even if it ends a game we don't care because we're trying to implement the rule and then once the season comes around we can slow it down and the other thing is is do you think there's also a side of things like you mentioned two weeks getting used to it and having it be a little fast now to like a playing speed like you know like the game's now moving fast and when you're not used to it it feels like you're going a million miles per hour and it's like you know, just because you haven't done it in, in a while. And I know those are kind of like two different questions, but, you know, kind of go into like how the umpires are handling it at the big league level. And then also, is there an adjustment period just because you had a winter off season? Yeah, I think they're both good questions. I think the umpires are definitely being pretty strict about it at the beginning. Um, you know, they're going to enforce the rules and then, I mean, it's their job to, to, do as they're told by the MLB. So they're going to call the automatic striker or, or ding a pitcher, yeah, ding a pitcher for a ball if the ball comes out. It's just they're going to be pretty strict by the book at the beginning. And then, um, yeah, like I saw Scherzer spoke up and said something about it, asking for a little bit more lenience with the clock. So um, I'm sure as the big name guys, the superstars have some feedback, then they'll make their adjustments. And, yeah, I think the long off season without it is definitely trying to kind of speed me up. Um, I think once I get back into a few more games, then, then I'll be totally fine with it. But it is kind of weird. Just, you know, we spent 20 years playing baseball a certain way, and then last year changed it. So this is my first off season, kind of having to get back into the new way of baseball. So. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm sure everybody will be fine, but it, it's definitely been weird so far. <laughs> if the only, I, just my opinion with the pitch clock, I think it's, I like it. Like, I guess I would say I like it. The games are shorter, makes it go faster. But then there's the whole aspect of 
we're kind of just making the game faster for the casual fan. But then again, millions of casual fans come to games just nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. But um, I kind of got a question just off this uh, kind of sidetrack. But uh, I played with you in the Arizona Fall League. And um, just like first impressions, just like meeting you, it seemed like you were like a very smart like hitter, like I, don't, I mean, that sounds like very broad, generic. But when I say that, just mean like I mean like new guy comes in the game, like you're sitting there with the iPad, you're looking at his metrics, you're talking about you know how much his fastball moves and like stuff like that. So I just want to see like what's your like daily like routine of like here's a starter, like what take me through like what do you like look at pitch wise and then like as a reliever comes in like what is stuff that you try to pick up on to help you for your next at bats going into the game yeah typically i'll look at um so the way that the cubs do their charting is we get the guy's arm angle and um kind of like the pitch shape based off of that so i like looking at that and just making sure i have an idea of what his fastball is going to do whether it's sink or or run or carry um and just once I'm locked in on the fastball, I can move on to to his primary, uh, primary secondary. is not the best way to say, it, but like his main <laughs> off speed pitch. Um, just giving myself an idea of how he's going to attack me, and then I'll watch his game logs for starters. So I'll watch. I typically sit in the locker room and watch the last two starts, um, unless there's one where he gave up a bunch of hits, and I wanted to see where damage was done on those pitches, something like that. So I love preparing for starters and then a bullpen guy comes in and it's just whatever I can do in the dugout to, to get ready um, and try to figure out who it is as quickly as possible. And then get to the iPad again, look at the chart and for, for relievers, I typically only look at how they pitch to left-handed hitters Um I, I guess I can do that with starters too, but I kind of like watching the flow of the entire game. Uh, for for relievers, I love just watching lefties, just seeing, especially recently, the way that our database does it is uh, most recently. So I can just sort it by left-handed hitters, click play, and it'll show me his most recent outing as far back as I want to go. So I kind of get his more recent tendencies, pitch shape from video, stuff like that. Nice. Like now, yeah. baseball, like it, oh, sorry. You go. No, you're good. Come go. So like, like it seems like it's, I don't know like much about like metrics and the data, all that stuff. I feel like I was still, didn't know much about it until probably like later of like last year. And I don't know like how much it like, I'm sure, like, the hitting labs and all that stuff, like, I don't really know much about it. I don't know if Trev can talk about it. But I just want to see, like, how much, like, you think data and, like, that aspect of the, of just, like, baseball has, like, helped you progress in your career. Or maybe it hasn't. I'm not sure. I just want to see, like, what you think. Yeah, it's definitely helped. It's it's different from college. Um, I didn't know a ton, a ton of stuff about the metrics either in college, just – kind of got a general scattering report from the hitting coach and try to figure out his stuff by watching the first few hitters of the game. So um, it, it's made me a lot more comfortable knowing what a guy throws going into the game um, just so I don't have to it's, – it's not another thing that I have to worry about while I'm on deck or 
or preparing to hit. It's sometimes it gets in my way. I, I think I know too much about the pitcher and um, maybe don't give the pitcher enough credit for for how good his stuff may be or deception, how well he hides the ball, how quick an arm might be. So there's definitely parts of it that the metrics don't tell you and and that I sometimes overlook, but um, it's definitely big, been a big big help preparing for games. So you mentioned the metrics and, and one of the, I guess you could say theories, but I think it's, it's well taught and it's well known at this point is fastball shape and how it impacts your swing. Right. I know Alex Bregman used to talk about it and the Astros do it all the time of like, you know, they'll, they'll get the pitching machine with hop and they'll, you know, you're almost aiming like a half a ball above the ball when a guy has hop. A, what's some, what's the pitch shape that you struggle with most, you know, a lot. And B, is that something that's helped you develop is understanding, Hey, like different pitch shapes, I have to approach a different way. Cause you mentioned fastball shape and how important that is to your game planning. Is that something that you look into and do you change, you know, whether it's just eye level, whatever it would be or what you're looking for based off of pitch shape? Yeah, for me, it's, it's a cut carry fastball. So a guy that has good hop and, it's bearing in on me. Um, just for whatever re- my swing, I guess, doesn't match up perfectly with that pitch shape, but um, there are still ways around it. Like, I I, I openly say that I have multiple swings. Um, mm-hmm. If a guy throws a cut carry fastball, I'm going to have a different swing that day against him than a guy that throws sinkers. It's just how I adjust and make sure that I'm on his best pitch or his primary pitch, so. It's pitch shape is really important, but at the same time, you can't let it get get you out of your approach. Um, still got to throw the ball over the plate, and as a hitter, I still want to swing it the right pitches. So, um, if a guy throws a good cut carry fastball, I'm not going to try to beat him to the up and in pitch. That's what he wants me to swing at. So, mm-hmm. it's kind of a game within a game of understanding what he throws, but still sticking to my plan. So, my question I got for you there is. Now, again, we can get into the nitty gritty of like kind of timing based and, and all this stuff like that. But from, you know, from the video I watched and listening to you talk about your swing, it sounds like when you're at your most dialed in, it's left center with authority, right? So oppo gap with authority. Is that a posture thing where you're spinning off, like, you know, losing your front side, spinning off? Is that why where that thought process comes from? And kind of from my, my theorizing, again, probably have more information than I could ever dream to have, but is that kind of part of why the cut carry fastball gives you a little bit of trouble is because of that thought process of, you know, like, you know, you're going to lose your front side if you try to cheat to get to that cut carry fastball. And that's why it has a tendency to get inside on you. If it has really good cut and really good carry. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, (laughs) That's something I might have to start thinking about. I haven't gotten that far into it, I guess, but yeah, for me, left center, is it's all about my direction. So it's staying through the ball instead of flying open with the front side, mm-hmm. uh, making sure my barrel is tracking through the zone instead of spinning off into the first base mm-hmm. dugout. Um, so, yeah, I guess on the, the cut carry heater, I just let it rip and see what happens. But yeah. everything else I try to at least, I mean, I end up pulling the ball a lot just because I like getting the head out. But um, the direction for me has to stay to left center. Yeah, it's it's so funny that you say that because I, you know, like I said, I I've worked with hitters, I've been in the cage, and I used to say like 
I mean, it's a line from cars, but I used to say you have to think right center to hit the ball to the pool side. That's what I used mm-hmm. to say, guys. Like, you have to think oppo to pull the baseball. And guys would be like, what do you mean? But when you lose your front side, A, you can't hit homers to the pool side. You might hit it hard to the pool side, but topspin doesn't carry 400 feet. It doesn't. It might drop in for a single, but if we're putting a ball in play at 105, we want it to be a homer to the pool side. That's maximizing our output. And it's crazy to think like just it's something as simple as being directional to the oppo gap and trusting your hands. I mean, you're seeing 95 to 100 and it's being able to trust your bat speed, being able to trust your talent. And it's almost those balls that you react to that you're able to basically pull off your front hip and hit the foul pole. And you're like, you go back and look at that and you're like, that's three inches off. And I went pull side Jack just because you were on time to the left center gap. Is that, and when I was kind of looking at your swing from college, is that something that you've changed over? I mean, obviously it's probably something you've been working on since you were 12 years old. We were all taught, you know, let it get deep, all, you know, all the stuff like that, the age old adages, but is that something that's really helped you make that next step in pro ball to hit 36 home runs? Yeah, I've always been a pull hitter. Um, mm-hmm. In college, I got pretty rotational just trying to pull. Um, I, I struggled a good bit my the end of my junior year because I started getting busted inside. And so my brain went spin instead of just keep your direction and, and get your hands inside the wall. So mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's been a learning curve. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, it's do damage to the pole side, however I can. I'm I'm better Mm -hmm. at pulling the ball in the air than I am hitting it opposite field in the air. So Mm -hmm. uh, if I can, I don't care where it's pitched. If I can pull an an outside fastball for a home run, then I'm going to do that. I'm not going to try to force it to left center. Um, But if I do let it get three inches deeper and, and hit it that way, then that just means my bat path's in a good place. My direction's in a good place. But it's funny you say that because one of the, and I mean, I'm sure you've pulled a lot of outside fastballs, but there's two things I used to tell our hitters all the time was a foul homers or strikes, right? You, you hit a foul homer. It does you no good like that. It literally does. And it's a, my biggest thing is it would be, it's a fixable thing. Like a lot of people get fired up when a guy goes poolside Jack on a foul ball, right? Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo when he made the, um, the transition to the Yankees, he talked about how he hooked so many homers. Well, the reason he went and hit 30 pumps last year was because he fixed his problem. He was keeping his front side in and he was able to backspin those balls with carry. It's like golf. You can't hook a drive. It's obsolete if you hook it because you lose distance. And in baseball, you're playing within these foundation of the foul lines. And it's, I used to tell our guys all the time, foul homers or strikes, we want to pull that ball with backspin off the pole. And that's the best swing you could take. And that's a homer, right? That's runs on the board. That's a good swing. And the other thing is, is I used to tell our hitters where you, where you hit the ball is a timing thing, right? If you're early and you hold your posture, it doesn't matter if it's outside corner, we swing 34 inch bats. We can pull that ball into the right center gap for you. Is that kind of how you feel about it? Is like where you hit the ball is more timing base than it is pitch location yeah absolutely I, I think a lot of my pull side home runs last year were on pitches on the outer half and it's just like i said earlier i just get the head out and and try to catch it out front because that's where i do my damage but if yeah if i catch the ball deeper and it goes to left center then that's great um probably not perfectly on time 
But if I can mm-hmm. keep his bat in the zone long enough to, to hit a line driver or even a home run backside, then I'm, I'm happy with that, obviously. It's just keeping yeah. my bat in a good place, like you said, holding my front side and, and not spinning off. Um, if I, when, when I get spinny and rotational, I, I just lose the barrel and everything's mm-hmm. either a pull side ground ball or a flare the other way. So it's just mm-hmm. making sure my direction's in, in a good spot and, and holding my posture throughout the swing. Is that something that the Cubs helped you with? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Like okay. I said, I was, I was really rotational in college, so that was one of the first things uh-huh. we addressed. Okay, that's awesome. And what – I mean, I, I got a lot of guys that I worked with that still listen to this podcast. What, what's the process? Like do you use a PVC pipe to make sure you're working on your posture? Because that's what I had a lot of guys do was like, hey, we're making sure we're staying in as long as possible. We're eliminating the bat. What's kind of the routine like to kind of work that? I like med balls more than PVC pipes. Okay. So, okay. Um, just kind of presetting my posture with whether I'm going opposite field or pull side and, and just making sure I'm moving properly instead of spinning and, and letting the med ball fly out of my hands and making sure keeping my front side in and, and working under my shoulders. Okay. That's awesome. Colin, you got anything? I, I feel like we're just letting you sit here. No, I was just like, I was just thinking like, I feel like, I don't know if you believe me with this or not, but tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we're, we're in like, we're at this age where like the game of baseball like drastically changed from I feel like our like very first year of pro ball to now like it's totally shifted from just the basic I would say like the contact hitter like singles doubles and now we're shifting to doubles and homers only like OPS and slugging and pitching has gone from you know the mixing and trying to tinker with guys and now it's just 95 plus I think someone told me like the average fastball then that will be now is like 94, like 94 and a half, 93 and a half, which is just absolutely insane. Like it's incredible. Like, but I was wondering like how much have, how much do you think you have had to adjust like year to year to prep for that? Cause I know from the pitching side, like it changes every single year, if not, you know, a couple times within the year, but I was just wondering like how much have you had to adjust with, I would say like this new era of baseball, like, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, that's how I think it has been changing. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was talking to Hosmer about this today in the dugout. Um, I forget who he said he was talking to, but it was something like in spring training, guys are just trying to throw their fastballs, make sure they establish the fastball and and work from there. And now I think in like the last four games, I've gotten three fastballs. Like guys are <laughs> – no, I don't care how hard you throw. Guys are th- still throwing 40, 50, 60% breaking balls and off-speed pitches. So the game is, has definitely changed. And not only is everyone throwing harder, but you guys have edgertronics and, and all the data. To, I mean, guys just show up with cutters every year and everyone <laughs> their change up more. And there's, there's all this pitching technology that you can just create a new pitch. Um, so hitters are constantly adapting to that and, and trying to work through the process of getting our swings in the right place, getting ready to hit every day. And also like from day one of spring training, you got to go compete because that guy's not going to just lay you a fastball anymore. Everybody's hunting for jobs. It's everybody's hunting. 
But no, you're. I, I 100% agree. Like we like with bullpens. Like I could probably sit there with a bullpen like 30, 40 minutes with the Rapsoda or the TrackMan, and design a pitch, like within you know a couple bullpen sessions. And guys are doing that even faster nowadays. Guys are you're talking about 17 year olds, 18 year olds now that have all this technology for them at such a young age, which we didn't have. Which now looking back at it, I wish like like how much different our careers would have been if we had this data like they have it now. So like, I don't know about you, but like, I want to see like, um, like you come from high school. Like, I feel like there's no data. Like, and then you go into data. Like, what, like, what was that transition? Like where you're like, Oh, like I have all this stuff now. Like, how do I find out what works for me? So I'm not overloading myself with thousands of numbers and data and videos and drills and stuff. Like how did you work through that to find out what, works the best for me and my career and you know however long i keep keep playing for hopefully 10 plus 15 years hopefully that's the goal um (laughs) i I dove way too deep into it in 2021 um my swing didn't feel good pretty much the whole year and i got really mechanical and would always we i would talk to our analytics guy and the hitting coach and just try to figure out what was going on with my swing and it really took me away from hitting and trying to beat the pitcher. Um, I was trying to create the right swing to hit with that day, which when you're facing guys that are throwing 95 and breaking balls and change-ups and stuff, it's it's impossible. So I had to – I went way opposite end of the spectrum last year and just told them not to talk to me about metrics. Let me, let me hit, and if something comes up, then we can address it. But um, – I didn't watch my own video. I didn't ask about metrics, none of that stuff. I just wanted to to go hit and make my own adjustments based off of ball flight and um, timing and stuff like that. So, and as the year progressed, I would I got into my swing a little bit more. Uh, but but again, I'm not a hitting coach. I didn't. I'm not qualified to break down video, so I didn't watch my own video. And um, if somebody had something to tell me, then I could watch the video together with them and, and try to understand what they were seeing. But it's it's been a, a balance for me of using the metrics to my advantage but not overloading it so much that I get in my own way. So it's so fascinating you say that because, like I said, I, <clears throat> I'm not saying I could break down video and, and chalk it up. But when you talk about data, and I would definitely say I'm a new age guy. Right. Like I, I think the difference is, is pitching is so kind of, I, I hate to use the term cut and dry. Like it's like either your fastball rides or it doesn't right. Either your breaking balls really good or it's not either you can spin it or you can't either you cut it, you sink it. Like all that stuff is so cut and dry and hitting it's so variable. Right. And like, like I said, I'm new age. I like the technology. I've worked with blast motion. I have my metrics that I like. I love rap soda because you talked about ball flight. Cause I think that's the only feedback that matters to me. That's your feedback right there is your ball flight. If you're hooking, if you're fading, that means you're not in the, in the zone. You're not catching it flush. So like, that's the only data that I've really used in technology. And I just think it's so crazy because there's so many benefits to the pitching game. But as I started to realize with the offensive side of things, it almost becomes paralysis by analysis, which is what you're talking about of, you know, it's 
putting you in a rut almost, right? Like where it's overthinking everything. And I realized that quick with hitters is like, you can't think about that when you're in the box. Yeah. It's impossible to hit anybody with, with decent stuff when you're trying to hit it a certain way with certain mechanics. And yeah, it's just, like I said, that's what I did in 21. I was, I was going into games trying to hit a certain way and I was missing 88 mile an hour fastballs over the plate. And that was the, mm-hmm. the final straw for me. I went, I, our hitting director was there at the time. And I went up to him and I said, what's going on? Like I haven't yeah. swung and missed an 88 mile an hour fastball in five years. It, it's, <laughs> it's, I knew my swing wasn't there and I knew my, my mind was getting in the way. So it was kind of a, I had to attack both sides of it at the same time, which was tough, but um, it, it helped me go into last year with, with less pressure, knowing that I wasn't going to get in my own way with the analytics. Yeah. And it's crazy because it's, it's, you can simplify and it's better. And that's all I wanted to say, Colin, whatever you got. But I like that like idea, like, like I think like the like more like the older we get, the more years we go, like we become like our own best coach. Like we start to realize like what we need to do and like how to fix that. And so like going off of that, just like being your own best coach and stuff, I've always been really fascinated with how just you position players. I mean, you're gonna have to play 162 games in a year, which is just incredible. And I'm a guy like I take pride like in my warm up routine and stuff. Like I've made every start the past two years and I take pride in that and how I warm up and stuff. And like I pitch once a week and it's sometimes tough. Like I can't imagine like you guys having to play max effort hundred percent, hundred and sixty two games a year with one off day every two weeks. So I was interested, like, how much have you learned throughout your career so far? Like how important it is to stay healthy and like what are the things that have helped you be able to play every single day for the past two years in a row now? Now you're looking at 162 games for whoever. I mean, like we said, 10 plus 15 years. <laughs> yeah, for me it's like you said, I have my routine. Um, whether it's recovery or prehab stuff or sleep or nutrition or whatever it is, I, I try to stick to the same plan almost every day. Uh, obviously game times change and, and I have to adjust off of that, but I don't do much. I don't have many hobbies. So after the game, I eat and I get in bed and, and make sure I'm off my feet and I'm resting and laying down and, and trying to get good sleep. Um, especially for night games. If we're, if like in Iowa last year, we would have some seven o'clock first pitches. So, Say a game ends at 10, shower, get ready to leave, eat. I'm back in my apartment by 11, and I want to be asleep. Hopefully the adrenaline wears off. I want to be asleep by 1, um, especially if we have a noon first pitch the next day. i got to be up at 7.30 maybe. So just, I mean, it's hard to maximize sleep there, but that's why I try to go get off my feet as quickly as possible. Um, make sure I get nutrition after the game, before the game the next day, make sure I'm eating a good breakfast. I think I'm a big believer in, in sleep and nutrition. I think those are big for my recovery. 
and then whatever I need to do to, to prepare my body for the next day, whether it's rolling out or using the, the massage guns, um, stretching, just, just making sure I'm limber and, and ready to go. So I don't pull a muscle or roll an ankle or something like that in the game. <laughs> I was just, I was just like trying to think of all of us on the road. I mean, AAA, you guys fly. So like you get, I mean, the airports probably have some decent food, but how many times do you, during the year through single A and double A, you just roll up to a gas station and there's like a Wendy's and a Sonic. And you're just like, how am I going to be feeling good enough to play tomorrow? And these are my only choices. Like, how do you keep up with that? Because I'm still trying to find out. It's just, yeah, it's I, incredible. <laughs> I would recommend paying for one of the Uber Eats, DoorDash, whatever Grubhub passes and just eat the 10 bucks a month and, try to save some money on delivery. Cause I mean, I don't spend a ton of money on other stuff. I, I spend money on food. So I know that's mm-hmm. important to me. And if we're playing like, even if in, in Tennessee at Smoky stadium, there's not a whole lot around there in Kodak. So if you need to DoorDash something, then for me, it's worth it to make sure I'm not only am I fueled, but it's not something that I'm worrying about during the game. Well, oh, what kind of what kind of food do you look for after the game? Is it is it high like carbs? Are you high carb, high protein? Kind of like rice bowls from Chipotle? Is that kind of your go to? Yeah, carbs and protein. Um, I yeah. think they they did a pretty good job with catering in in Iowa and and really mm-hmm. wherever I was last year. Um, and I'd say even in the fall league, they did a pretty decent job feeding us after the games, just making sure that. I get what I need to, to, to help recovery. And for me, that's, that's carbs and proteins. Try to stay away from sugar and candy and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if there's, you know, there, there are mental health days too. If I, yeah. if I <laughs> struggle for a day or two or three and, and I feel like eating some chocolate or whatever, just there, there's definitely that aspect too. But for the most part, I try to stick with carbs and proteins. That's awesome. That's great. And uh, so you you guys are kind of talking about routine there for a second. One of the things that fascinates me more, especially with pitchers, but I'm a hitting nerd. So I want to know is like, what's the daily hitting routine? Are you, are you a feel good guy? Do you like to, do you like to hit high velo before games? How's that go? And, and even down to, you know, do you start stretching foam rolling med ball? What kind of med ball exercises? Just everything. Last year it was pretty much just, flips and early work and, and some overhand BP um, on the field. We did a lot of high velo machine, good spin rate machine. Mm-hmm. So making sure we're all on fastball timing and, and adjusting from there. And then maybe some extra hitting if we're at home and, and I feel like I need it, but I had a pretty good routine last year, just getting my feels in before the game and, and not worrying about mechanics. Um, in the off season and spring training, it's a little bit more training. Uh, I'll do some med ball stuff. I'll do some movement stuff in the weight room. Just try to get loose. But but in season, I like to figure out what's going to get me right for the day and, and try to stick with that for the whole year. So did you like the high velo machine? Because that's one thing that I'm an advocate for pregame. My BP sucks, so that's part of it. But um, I'm an advocate for high velo, game speed, everything at that level. But 
Like, is that something you like or you all feel good or does it depend on the day? I, I like machine. I like some, some okay. I don't want to get blown up, but if there's yes. something that, that simulates a, a nearly game speed fastball and, and something with some good hop, if a guy throws one of those fastballs, then I'm all for it. Awesome. I'm going to clip that and send it to all college baseball coaches um, so that because there's nothing worse than an 18 year old freshman getting blown up by a pitching machine pregame complaining about not feeling good. <laughs> like, dude, first <laughs> off, you're not going to play. And secondly, like, it's game speed, bro. Like, we got to get our eyes ready. Is there, okay, I just walked myself into another question. Is there anything visually that you warm up with? Like, do you think that's helped you with seeing high velo because of your eyes and timing wise? Is that a lot of it too? Yeah, more of it's timing. Um, mm-hmm. For my eyes, I I just try to track the ball all the way in for flips and yeah. just making sure I'm seeing the ball and, and not just kind of going through the motions and just swinging. But okay. for the velo machine, yeah, it's it's all timing for me. I want to make sure that I'm not rushing, I'm not speeding up to hit that pitch, just making sure I'm loading on time and, and I'm comfortable hitting the pitcher's best fastball. That's awesome. So I'm going to complain a little bit with something, but pitchers, I feel like we only have a certain amount of throws each day before obviously your arms just starts to fall off and just feel terrible. And I feel like hitters, like you guys have the beauty of, I mean, being able to swing, I mean, thousands of swings a day, which I mean that you probably not doing that, but I'm just wondering like how many like swings a day, like do you go, like do you hit like, just like I have no idea. Like, I'm, like I watch the hitters' routine. I'm just like I have no idea what's going on. I'm just curious. Like, are you a feel good like guy? Like how Travis saying, like take a couple swings. Like, all right, I'm good. Or do you go through a whole progression of like ten off the tee this way, flips that way, all this stuff? I'm just wondering, like, what's your hitting routine pregame? I'm not super strict with. Um, I don't do any tee work pregame. I don't. I don't love the tee. It makes me steep. So. That, that eliminates a certain amount of swings. Um, I like. I try to stay left center, like we were talking about earlier with flips, and, and just make sure I'm I'm moving properly and, and my direction's good. So I'll say probably if I go two to three rounds of flips, two to three rounds of arm, that's around fifty swings, um, and then I don't know four rounds of five or six on the field. So. We'll go 75 swings before the game and then maybe some extra if I'm not feeling quite right. Um, in in camp, it's I'm taking more. I'm probably taking closer to 100 to 150 swings maybe, just trying to get my work in before the season. Are you, are you game bat every swing? No, BP bat and game okay. bat. Okay. And it's same weight, same length, everything? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, like, same. I don't like constraint training too much. Uh huh. Um, I stand in the same place. I don't okay. choke up. I don't change my approach. It's just if I trust myself, oh oh, then I trust myself, oh two, and love whatever that. Happens, happens. I love that. That's what? if you have a good good swing, it's in the bats in the hitting zone long enough. You don't need a two strike approach. Exactly. Swing at the right pitch. Yep. When did like hitters? Like, I feel like this might be a really dumb question. Like, when did hitters start doing that? Because like, like it seemed like high school was always like choke up two strikes. Even college choke up two strikes. Now it's like two strikes. You guys are still trying to do serious damage. And 
like as a pitcher, it's like I better not miss because <laughs> his O2 swing is just like his OO swing. So like when when did you start doing that? Did that start in pro ball or has that always been your aspect of I don't care what the count is, I'm just gonna try and bash this off the left center field wall? <laughs> Me personally, um, I've kind of always tried to do damage at all times. There, I mean, there's a time and place for spoiling a pitch off or just trying to take your single or something like that. But hitting's hard. If you mm-hmm. if you guys miss with two strikes, I'm gonna try to hit the ball hard. So it, I think a lot of guys still do a good job with two strike approaches and and just trying to spray a ball somewhere and, and take your single. But there are definitely guys that say, "Screw it, I'm gonna try to hit a bomb no matter what the count is." It's kind of a – I don't know if different organizations have different philosophies, but I think generally guys are taught one way or another. That's Because we uh, – I just have another story. Like we were playing uh, – we were in Cedar Rapids playing the Twins high team in 21. And our shorts at the time like asked like the Twins, like your guys' two-strike approach, like it looks nothing like – like other guy, like other orgs, like what do your hitting coaches like tell you? And I think the guy at second base was like, he tells us a swing every time now. Like we're trying to do damage. We're trying to absolutely cross brawls. We're not just trying to put the ball in play because now we're in an era of baseball where ground balls are going to be outs. Like it's basically not as much anymore. Now. Well, not as much sometimes, <laughs> but still, but still like, I mean, <laughs> you do have the shift. So that is different, but we live in error. Like, I mean, ground balls are short. They're going to be like, it's out. Guys are rarely, rarely making errors. So we've, mm-hmm. you guys have shifted from, Oh, put the ball in play. Like, see what happens. Like I always hated that aspect of it because they're going to make the play. Like now right. you guys have switched to, I'm hitting the ball over the fence. It's O2. I don't care, which as a pitcher, it's like, I need to make sure my stuff is good or I'm still in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. There is definitely value in, in not striking out and, but for me, it's not, you know, tap a ball and run. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you guys will make the play. It's just, can I get enough bat on this ball to, to dunk it in between the infield and outfield? Or um, if there's a, if there's a guy on first, can I maybe sneak a ball into, like, the four hole where there's more space opened up now? Um, yeah, the, the slash and run has never been part of my game. I'm not fast. I don't burn on the bases. So I just try to do enough to, to maybe sneak out a hit. Um, and striking out has no value. So um, I guess the only time it's better to strike out than put the ball in play is to avoid a double play. But yeah, as a hitter, it's pretty hard to, to put yourself in that situation and just say that you'd rather miss than – to make contact. Well, it's it's so interesting because like the argument for hitting with two strikes is the batting average on strikeouts is zero, right? Like you could put a ball in play at 65 miles per hour and get a knock. Like at least there's a variable of being able to get a knock. But one of the things that used to, that I always thought was like people that complain at the higher levels and like, Oh, like kids, whatever. Like when you're coaching at the division three level, like we worked on two strike approach, you know why? Because you play on a crap field in, in Pennsylvania and it hits a rock and you got to run on and your goal is to win a game, right? In the big leagues, it doesn't hit a rock. 
In the big leagues, the shortstop doesn't boot a ground ball. In the big leagues, they could let you get to five feet till first base and you're out still because they just play with you because they all have elite arms. They all have elite movements. They all have elite everything. And when you start to try to change your swing, whether it be in a two-strike approach and whatever you're changing kind of puts you in a position where 97 might break your bat or you're swinging and missing anyway. So I might as well get a lick off. And, you know, I think it's about, especially at the big league level, and you could tell me if, if I'm wrong here, it's about education. It's like, hey, if there's a runner on third less than two outs and we're late in the game and I got a tough reliever and the infield's back, like I'm putting a ball in play. I'm doing what I need to do. But if nobody on, nobody out early in the game, my team wants me to hit a home run anyway. Like that success is hitting a home run, and whether it's 0-2 or 0-0, if, am I right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely situations where you still play baseball, and if mm-hmm. you move a runner or, or score a guy from just putting a ball in play, taking your your ground out, and um, if they're going to play back, just accept it and, and get the guy in. But like you said, nobody on, nobody out. Um, the goal is not only to get on base, but to hit a ball hard and, and drive it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So if I can, I mean, a single or a double is better than a single, a home run's better than a double. It's just mm-hmm. pretty basic math at that point. Um, yeah, it's, the situations are definitely there, but generally, if you're looking at nobody on, nobody out, guys aren't just trying to hit a single anymore. Yeah. Because it's hard. It's hard to score with singles when when the pitchers are as good as they are. How many like you don't string together hits in in the big leagues? You, like it's hard to like it's few and far between. Because if even if you get two against a starter who's going third time through the order, they go and bring out a nasty matchup, and a guy throws a ninety seven mile per hour split finger, and you go punchy 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 anyway, and you're like, well, pff, I would rather have that second guy at a homer because at least we put two on the board per se. Like at least we had a chance to, you know, take advantage to score. It's like you don't go single, single. I mean, three run home runs win in the playoffs. Like that's what wins in the big games because a, and Colin, you can attest to this. Any pitcher can get clipped. Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, like any pitcher at any moment can get clipped. The Max Scherzers and the Justin Verlanders, they don't give up three singles very often. Like it's few and far between because like it's hard to hit those guys. You gotta you gotta maximize your swings, and in the playoffs when you're facing the best pitchers, that's kind of where you have to hang your hat on. It's the team usually the team that hits the three run home run in the big spot wins the game. Yeah, I know that's not a broad question for anybody. It's kind of just a statement. No, it's true. It's starters don't go complete games anymore because they're not. They don't have the best stuff anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. the elite of the elite starters do, but like you said, there's, I mean, there are guys in every bullpen that you've never heard of that have the nastiest stuff you've ever seen. It's crazy. If you look at the Astros last year and mm-hmm. that no hitter, they, I mean, they were throwing their donkeys. And mm-hmm. I mean, nobody expected Montero, is that his name? Yeah, Montero. Like, Nobody expected him at the beginning of the year to be throwing massive, massive innings in the World Series for the Phillies. Mm. But he's nasty. So if they need to turn the ball over to a guy in the bullpen, then there's no hesitation anymore. Just go get him. 
Well, and one of the most impressive parts about the Astros, and again, like this is kind of just a broad topic, is how good they are at finding what I like to say the next pitch, right? Like if you look back over the past couple of years, they were the first ones on cutters. Now everybody has guys that throw cutters. You know what everybody in their bullpen throws right now? 95 mile per hour split fingers. It's like <laughs> you have Ryan Stanek who comes out and he's 101 with life and then a split finger off of it and you're like, Okay, and then it's like Ryan Presley can spin a breaking ball at 3,000 RPMs with a high spin fastball. Okay, Montero comes out and he throws this heavy split finger, and it's like, what do you even do with that? How do you even hit that? And, like, they are so good at being like, hey, we, oh, yeah, we we made the cutter a big deal. Now we're going to get rid of all of our cutter guys, and we're going to go get guys that throw split fingers, and who knows what's next at this point? Like, who knows what they can figure out next because they just are the best at it. And they're they're really good. I don't know if you faced any Astro. Well, you're you're out west in Arizona, so I and I know they're in they're in Palm Beach, so it's not like you're seeing Astros arms. But I'd imagine in AAA, their guys are gross. I'm sure they are. Um, yeah, we don't play the Astros. They're in well, they're in the other league, so I guess it's possible if we play an interleague. Mm-hmm. But um, I've never faced. I've never played the Astros, but I mean, every organization has. Guys that have nasty stuff. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Even like the Angels double A last year, Rocket City, most of those guys were from the last two drafts. And they're still, mm-hmm. I mean, they must do a great job of getting their guys that they like because they had a, a really good variety of arms and different arm angles mm-hmm. and some deception and some funk and some guys that threw hard. So. It's like the Rays' philosophy is have a guy throw from every arm angle. And you've mm-hmm. seen their spectrum where they have guys that from the right and left side are, are one guy's straight over top and they have a side armor or a submariner from each side. So teams have different philosophies about um, you know how they want to get hitters out. But the Astros do a great job, obviously. They keep winning. The Rays are always competitive. The Yankees, the Dodgers, whoever you want to look at, um, mm-hmm. they're all doing a good job with that stuff. It, I got one mm-hmm. question. Throughout your career, who? Because I like as a pitcher, I like Trevor said. I remember a lot of like the homers and stuff I've given up. <laughs> Who's like one guy throughout like minor league ball? I mean, I know you went through three levels last year, so you may have only faced you know some guy once or twice in A ball, once or twice in double A, but. If you could name one guy that has, I mean, I would say has your number, who would that be? Uh, Yuri Perez was a tough matchup. And obviously he's a mega prospect, 19-year-old. He's like 6'10", throws the ball from like 45 feet away, it feels like. Uh, (laughs) Throws 97, has really good change-up command, like. He's just a very talented, polished pitcher at a really young age. So it was super impressive and and not a comfortable at-bat. You said yours. I'll say mine. Andy Pajes has had my number the past couple years. So I won't leave you out here. Just we all have guys that have us (laughs) for now. For now. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I'm all about making yourself feel good. Who's the guy you got? Like who's the best pitcher you've got? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to name any. <laughs> They're the ones that uh, they control my destiny. 
Yeah. Fuck me, but um, there was one week last year where I got I got three big leaders in one week, so that was that was cool for me. <laughs> that's that's enough. That's enough. You you that's you hold it right there. You, you don't you don't need to put any any names out there. That's good enough. We'll we'll uh, we'll just let you you hang it on that. The other thing I gotta ask is what's the best like best conversation you've had at first base? Like who, who's some good personality guys and, and what's the best story you've, you've got from, from just talking to guys at first? Oh, I don't know. I kind of, I talk when people talk to me, so I, okay. don't, I don't initiate the conversation. I don't want to be in a guy's ear if, if he doesn't feel like talking. Um, Jordan Walker is a great dude. It's a huge prospect for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. He was committed to Duke and, and okay. playing in first base um, when he was in high school. So he was over at first hanging out during our practice. And um, he got on first in the fall league and, and started off saying, I don't know if you remember remember me. And I cut him off immediately. And I said, yeah, it's dude, like, I know who you are. You're a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reconnecting with him and obviously he's had a ton of success. He's having a great spring already. Um, yeah. He's hitting 500. Yeah. And with right a couple now, of bombs, um, Yeah. It's just cool talking to guys like that, that maybe yeah. I ran into a few years ago and we reconnect in pro ball. It's pretty fun. That's awesome. The, the other thing that I I've got is I'm a huge listener of the compound podcast is Dakota. A pretty cool dude. Dakota's awesome. He, he's one of the he best like guys I've been around. Um, That's awesome. Good energy every day. Uh, he's he's funny. He loves sports. He, he loves baseball. So yeah. I miss him. Yeah. I wish I wish he was back with the Cubs, but uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. You might have to you might have to hold him accountable. We had Colin reach out to him about coming on the podcast, and he big leagued him. He stiffed oh, him. <laughs> so I don't know if he never saw the message. I don't know, but you you might have to hold him accountable if you talk to him. You'd be like, "Come on, man!" Because we like, I mean, we just wanted to talk to him. Like, it does not even about baseball. Like at that point, like he seems like he has such good personality. I'm like, I just want to like talk Michigan State football with you. <laughs> He's a great dude. I, I bet he would have some good Michigan State stories for you. I'll, I'll see yeah. what I can do. Get in here a little bit and, and talk to him. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, any anything, anything would help. We just, I, he seems like an awesome. Like he's, I, I hate to be like that, but like he, he cracks me up on the podcast. Like I listen to him, and I'm just like, he just like seems like a dude. Like he just seems like, you know, you're hanging out with him, and he's just funny. He's always having a good time. He's always probably got a smile on his face. Like, and it's crazy how podcasts can tell you that much about a person. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, my locker was I think two next to his in in AAA last year. Okay. He's, I mean, every day, good personality, good energy, funny, cracking jokes. So, yeah, he's definitely a good dude. That's great. That's great. Well, Colin, you have any last questions before we let Matt get out of here? I got nothing, but thank you for coming on. Sorry if we were a little busy trying to get it scheduled, but really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. And hopefully people really enjoy this one because you're going to be in the big leagues in probably two months or so, hopefully within, within the month. So, Here's a name to watch out, but thank you again, Merv. Yeah, thank you guys. It was fun. Um, some of the scheduling was was my fault. I got pretty busy the last couple of weeks, so I'm glad <laughs> we got it worked out. 
hey, man, it, it never worry about it. We, I, we tell Colin the same thing because we do have another host with us who's he's he's got like company in town, so he couldn't make it and, and he knows he's missing out. But like we tell Colin all the time and we tell all of our guests, like, just come on when you can. Like, don't don't ever feel like you have to. We appreciate that you've even taken the time to to sit with us on a Saturday night and, you know, talk hitting with us and, and everything and. You know, we hope you enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, we hope that you felt like it was a worth your time. But, you know, we appreciate the fact that you took any time. You could have said, I'm on here for 15 minutes in and out. And I would have been like, let's go record. Okay, like, here's three questions. Let's go. No, you so. guys are great. And your, your baseball minds, obviously, Colin, we're, we were teammates in the fall. So, um, yeah, I mean, just happy to talk to you guys and, and reconnect. And it's been fun. Of course. And, and to be honest with you, I, I probably have like six questions that I didn't get to ask. So I'm not going to put too much pressure on you, but when you're, when it's, when it's July and you know, who knows, you might be in the all-star game. So when you're going off, but you know, I, I definitely would love to have you back on and, and especially talk more hitting and talk about some experiences and, and maybe get you on when you're lighting up the, the MLB landscape and, and hitting homers and Wrigley. Absolutely. Whenever yeah. I get a couple of stories for you, talk to somebody cool at first base. I'll I'll reach back out and we get some get something on nice. schedule. That'll be awesome. We'll, we'll be looking forward to that. But to all our listeners, I know you guys enjoyed this episode. Matt did a great job. He brought in so much detail about hitting. You know, make sure you're following him. We're hoping that he breaks camp with the team. I know he's got two vets in, in front of him at first base, but he's going to compete. He's going to keep. He's going to get his swing figured out. He's going to rake in the WBC too. So watching that, we're going to be definitely locked in on that game against the Dominican Republic and following everything you do. So you know, you're going to have our listeners that are going to be super fans of yours and, and following every step of the way. So we appreciate it again. Sweet. Thank you, guys. Of course. All right, to our listeners. Appreciate everything you guys do. Making sure you're liking, sharing, subscribing with five, with five friends. Any like help, any five star review helps. All that stuff's good. You know, sharing with friends helps. And like I mentioned before, Seat Geek promo code Backside Ground Ball get twenty dollars off your first order. It's our first partnership, so we're super excited. Anything helps, and you know, the more we grow and the better we do, the more guests we can get on. And and who knows, maybe we'll get. Matt on weekly for all we know. We'll be doing Mondays with that <laughs> if, if we can swing it. If we can get them signed on the contract when Seat Geek's sending us, sending us bills, who knows? We might be able to get that in there. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.